Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. As we've been talking about, Haiti is grappling with an unprecedented environmental destruction after a recent hurricane and earthquake. A political crisis following the assassination of the Haitian president has also left the Haitian people with a crashing economy. And we can't forget the pandemic continues there, too. After the U.S. began deporting some of the approximately 13,000 Haitian migrants who arrived at the Mexican border, the U.S. Special Envoy for Haiti resigned in protest, citing the inhumane treatment of Haitian migrants as well as the decision to deport them as they flee political and environmental devastation. Joining me to talk about the Haitian migrant crisis is Bay Area resident Claude Alix Bertrand. He's Haiti's ambassador to UNESCO, a part of the United Nations which seeks to provide international collaboration through education science and culture. Welcome. Good morning. So uh, where do we start? Where do you start the clock on the current crisis at the border? Like you could go back a long way in time or do you see it as, you know, something that really developed just, you know, since 2010 or in the last year? Like what's your timeline for the current situation? Well, I think there's an accumulation over time that can be traced back to the political instability in Haiti that dates back to after the Duvalier government left in 1986. Mm-hmm. And over the years, just exponentially got worse um, with, you know, more polit- political instability and therefore the, the security and the lack of opportunity in the country forced a lot of people to look for asylum or for refuge elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So, um, oh, go ahead. I, however, you know, when you say, do I think that it goes back to 2010? Um, you know, this is the most devastating earthquake that we have ever seen. Mm-hmm. Hundreds of thousands of people lost their lives, and the ones who survived it, who were already living in an impoverished state, found themselves, you know, without options. So all of that combined, I think, forced people to look for the opportunity for for livelihood elsewhere. Yeah. And when you when you look at that situation, if you could change U.S. policy in some crucial ways, what what would you do? You know, it's strange. I don't think that U.S. policy needs to be changed. I just think that it needs to be implemented equally for all that are involved. You know, if this was a different country with um, perhaps a different ethnic background, I think we would see better follow-up and better opportunity for people seeking opportunities within the United States. And I'm not sure if what I'm saying makes sense to you, 
there have been many um, promises made. Um, you know, if we just go back to what's happening at the border at the moment, for people to be not just deported, but also um, uh, taking away their, their, the right that the United States offers to asylum seekers to apply for asylum to be taken away is a clear indication that, you know, not everyone's take, treated equally. Mm-hmm. And you think that's essentially a form of kind of structural anti-blackness that's not maybe not embedded in the policy itself, but in the implementation and enforcement of that policy? Look, what we know for sure, and, and these, are, these are facts, this is not something I'm making up, yeah. depending on which part of the border you go to, you will be processed differently. So depending on where you arrive at the border, you may receive very different treatment than a, a different city. So it right. almost depends on whom is processing you and what their points of view are that they decide which part of the law that they want to uphold or um, dismiss. Yeah. You know, in um, Daniel Foote, the U.S. Special Envoy to Haiti's mm-hmm. letter, um, he I'm just quoting from his letter here. said the U.S. has publicly supported de facto Prime Minister Dr. Ariel Henry as uh, interim leader of Haiti and have continued to tout his, quote, political agreement over another broader earlier accord shepherded by civil society. The hubris that makes us believe we should pick the winner again is impressive. This cycle of international political interventions in Haiti has consistently produced catastrophic results. Do you, do you agree with that fundamental analysis of what of, of Haitian politics in the U.S.'s role? Well, first of all, let's go back to the letter. The letter that Mr. Foote wrote is unprecedented. Mm-hmm. We've never seen any type of diplomatic envoy at any level from the United States condemn the United States' uh, position. You know, we often get you know, behind closed doors, an agreement that says, yes, we realize that we can do this differently or we can do this better. But for it to be a publicly um, acknowledged situation is unprecedented. Mm -hmm. And for that to get to that point, let me just shed some light on this for you. You know, the level of gangs in Haiti is just so high. This weekend, in one day, there were over 20 um, um, kidnappings in one city. Mm. Um, we are talking about people who are, I would say, you know, who have had the opportunity to live in the United States. And I'm talking about people within a certain class who have the ability to travel and who have the opportunity to perhaps apply and live overseas, who had over the years remained in Haiti. Mm-hmm. because somehow they felt that, you know, this is our country, we're going to remain here and we're going to uh, manage it. Those very people um, in conversations with me in recent um, months are all seeking refuge elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So if we go back to Mr. Foote's letter, it's not, he didn't arrive at that point because he was being fickle or because he was being... Um, taunted, I think that he arrived at that conclusion because what he's seen is truly unprecedented. So So, I wanted to ask you what um, Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman then fired back with. You know, she said, and again, now I'm quoting her, 
Our mm-hmm. interest is that the Haitian people can choose their future. We don't take sides with anyone. We're for democracy in Haiti. Kind of a little bit of boilerplate there. But then she said, and one of the ideas that Mr. Foote had was to send the U.S. military back to Haiti. I can tell you, I'm quoting still, I can tell you sending the U.S. military back to Haiti is not the answer. Is this something that you personally would support, like U.S. military intervention, if that was one of the things that the special envoy had on the table? Look, after 1986, um, you know, when President Aristide arrived in power, he did two things. He dissolved our army, basically canceled it, and then he dissolved the police. So we became a state that was being governed without any protection. You know, if, if we go ahead and we put signs on the highway that say we can only drive at 65 miles an hour and there's no one to enforce it, I don't think anyone would drive at 65 miles an hour. So when you're talking about um, a state where there is no repercussion for bad behavior, there is no one to enforce the law, you arrive at a chaotic situation. President Aristide was put back in power by the United States, by force, by President Clinton. So it ended up becoming a state that was being governed, although at the time the crimes were not as high as they are now, without army intervention Mm -hmm. and without the possibility of police to protect the people. Mm -hmm. Over the years, Now, what has happened is these gangs that are so numerous, they can't be counted, have taken over. Recently, sir, there was a police station that closed its doors because of insecurity. Hmm. I don't know if if, if I can say that loud enough for people to understand. The police station closed its doors for insecurity because they were fearing from their lives from the um, um, gangs that are um, um, operating. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so that being said, um, when Mr. Foote says that he thinks that having um, some sort of force, I'm not exactly sure if that force would have to be, um, you know, the United States military force, but some sort of force that would help to restore law and order. I don't really see how we could arrive at it on our own when we don't have, it would take us years to form a new army. It would take us years to form, to have enough police with the proper training to be able to protect the people. The United Nations had sent, you know, UN peacekeepers that were on the ground for many years. Those peacekeepers came with pros and cons. There was a lot of accusations of, um, improper behavior, including rape and and um, the the spreading of cholera and so mm-hmm. on and so forth, which was all um, seen as negative. However, me standing from the outside, I can tell you that at least there was a force that could help to p- create a presence of a certain um, reinforcement of 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 a force, if you would. So I don't think Mr. Foote is wrong. I think it would have to be carefully crafted. I think it would have to be carefully uh, put in place. And, you know, again, something very controversial that I'm going to say, when President Clinton decided to, you know, by force, reinstate President Aristide, who 
you know, removed our army, removed our, our ability to protect ourselves. He also supported many um, subsidies, which again, he's admitted personally that he thought that that was a great mistake uh, from the United States to help Haitians with subsidies of rice and beans and things that were coming in to feed the people. Those subsidies came in where they were supposed, they were being given for free mm. to, to the population. Crushed the local markets. It for completely things. crushed the local markets. And eventually our productions were, no one would buy them because what was coming from overseas was a better quality and it was free. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at a state that all of its ability to whether to protect itself, to nourish itself, to contain itself, have all been taken away little by little. Again, it didn't happen overnight. Um, this is, we all know, you know, how long ago uh, Bill Clinton was president. We take that and put it into effect today. And you realize that you're in a situation that 30 years after the Duvaliers left, every infrastructure that we had has either been destroyed by a prior president, the devastating earthquake, the numerous hurricanes that we've had, and has created an environment of survival where these people who are there, they don't have opportunities. The opportunities have vanished. They're no longer there. So it is almost a situation where who can survive this and how are they going to do it? Yeah. Must be so hard to see that happen to your country. Ambassador Claude Alix Bertrand. I I, want to bring in um, some of our callers who also have some questions. Scott from San Francisco, you're on the air. Welcome to the show. Uh, Good morning. Um, I I, I want to start off by saying that that I uh, very much appreciate the the guests' uh, comments about some of the history with Haiti um, and uh, a, a series of policy missteps obviously have created a horrible situation in Haiti. Uh, but it strikes me that a similar situation we could talk about in Honduras and El Salvador, uh, we could talk about for maybe 250 million people in, uh, in the parts of the Caribbean and parts of South America and parts of Central America. And the earlier law professor that you had on mm-hmm. was talking about somehow there was a right to come to the United States, and that is legally erroneous. Uh, the uh, guidelines uh, that apply and treaty rights that apply say that you have a right to apply for asylum. To apply for right, if you are being if you are if you are being persecuted for religious, political, or ethnic reasons. And my question to your guest is: Is there prof- is their persecution of people in Haiti for ethnic or political or religious reasons? And are the people who are showing up at the southern border, uh, who by and large have uh, come from places where they were already in places of safety, they're coming from Chile, they're coming from Argentina, they're coming from Brazil, are those people actually people who uh, deserve asylum because people in Haiti are persecuting them for their religious beliefs or for their ethnic uh, state or, or membership or of a particular politics. social group or political uh, opinion. Uh, yeah. uh, agreed. The, the, the law in the U.S. Has, has expanded to say that people who are, uh, for instance, gay and are prosecuted for being gay, that that is uh, uh, grounds under U.S. asylum law. 
Right. But my question for your guest is I recognize the horrible situation, and I think it probably applies to 250, 300, maybe 400 million yeah. people. Well, let's get let's it's ask uh, let's ask US. Ambassador Bertrand. Um, what do you think, Ambassador Bertrand? Well, I think that the simplistic approach um, um, that's just been presented is simply um, it, 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 it's too it's overly simplified. Um, sir, if you, I don't know how, how closely you follow Haitian politics or you follow the, the, the news in Haiti, but someone can be killed there for so many different reasons on any given day. It could be because of the person that you voted for last election. It could be because you took a photograph with someone that is affiliated with a particular group. It could be because of the person that you had dinner with last night, or maybe you didn't even have dinner with them. You were in the same restaurant where they had dinner. And the, the, the perception is that you're supporting a particular group or not. Um, so when you say, is there? No, it's not, is there? It's which one do you want to choose? Because people are prosecuted on so many different levels that I assure you, someone leave, leaving Chile and walking for months to arrive at the Mexican border, mm-hmm. seeking asylum with their children. I just would like you for one second to put yourself in their shoes. It is not because they're looking to come for a vacation. It is because the life that they've had, these are people who are seeking an opportunity to remain alive. I'm not sure if you also heard some of the interviews of, of these people at the border who said they would rather die they go, than go back in Haiti because being deported there it, it basically meant that they were going to die. Let me, um, let me shed some light for you on some of the gangs that have taken over certain cities. There's a city called the city of Martissant, which is in the, the south of Port-au-Prince, um, that gangs have taken over. So for whatever reason, these gangs decided to take over an entire city. They have chased out of the city every single resident. And those who didn't leave were killed. These people all fled to Port-au-Prince, their homes, every possession they have were taken over by gangs. And since then, these gangs control the road. After the most recent earthquake that took place in Haiti, that road is crucial to deliver aid mm-hmm. to the south of Haiti where the, where the devastation was. Do you know that people had to negotiate with the gangs mm-hmm. in order for them to get the aid through? So when someone says, you know, it would appear to them that this is, um, you know, is there, is there a religious affiliation? Is there a political affiliation? I would think that if you spoke to any single one of them, that they could find many different um, umbrellas that they could go under. We've been talking with Ambassador Claude Alix Bertrand, Haitian ambassador for UNESCO. Thank you so much. It's been hard to hear. We'll continue this series on asylum over the next two days by talking with members of the Bay Area's Afghan and Central American communities. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation.
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.